Welcome to Profit Boss Radio, where successful women have paved the road to their own financial freedom. Each week, your host, Hillary Hendershot, financial coach, money mindset expert, and experienced wealth manager, will help you discover the keys to the wealth and peace of mind you want and deserve in her no-nonsense and authentic style. Starting right now. Hi there, Profit Boss. Welcome to Episode 7. Before we dive right into today's interview with the amazing financial coach and author, Denise Hughes, I want to let you know about two really cool things I have for you today. First, if you haven't already entered the podcast contest, please do that now. I believe in contributing to your financial health, so I've created a way I can do just that. I'm going to give away three $100 Amazon gift cards to lucky winners of the Profit Boss Radio Contest. So if you love the show and you want to help get the word out to other Profit Bosses and would-be Profit Bosses, iTunes will do that for us if you contribute to the show by subscribing to it and writing a review. So enter the contest by doing the following. First, subscribe to the show in your podcast app. Second, write an honest review on iTunes. Then go to hillaryhendershot.com forward slash podcast contest and enter your name and email address so we know you did the first two steps. Then you're entered to win and I would love to give you a big fat Benjamin. That's $100 in the form of an Amazon gift card to be spent on anything and everything that makes you happy. The second thing I want to note today is that so far each episode of Profit Boss Radio has included an expert interview, but that will not always be the case. I will sometimes do solo shows where I teach some of the money knowledge that I've learned in my 15 years working with investors and coaching clients to financial success. And next week's episode is going to be kind of a hybrid episode. So the money operating system is a technology that I teach. You've probably heard me refer to it in a couple episodes already. The money operating system is really at the core of you being able to impact your own money life. You have a money operating system and it's not identical to everyone else's, like your money personality or a money script that you live by. So I'm going to dedicate an entire show to it. So I'll be interviewing some past students, and then talking about what the money OS is and how you can determine yours and its impact in your life. So I'm even going to leave you with some free worksheets as my gift to you so you can really decipher your money operating system, make it real in your life and stay on your profit boss journey. So don't miss next week's episode. Now let's get to Denise. Okay. Many years ago, I saw Denise talk at a financial advisor conference, and it was one of those times you hear someone speak and they drop so much gold that you're turning to the people next to you and grabbing them by the shoulders and kind of going, are you hearing this? Like, are you listening to what this woman is saying? And that was what this experience was like. It was the first time I had heard anyone talk about money psychology in a scientific way that was tangible for me. And that talk really kicked off my own in inquiry into money psychology and my own both conscious and unconscious behaviors that had led to the situation I was in. And later, I kept reading what Denise was publishing in the Wall Street Journal, and I was seeing her speak at industry conferences and events, and I devoured everything that she offered. And when I was about to start Hillary Hendershot Financial, I reached out to her, and I actually hired her as a coach because I wanted to integrate her knowledge into my platform. So she's a really big part of what I do. And this is a really special interview for me. Today, Denise shares with us how money nearly caused her to divorce her husband and how they were able to finally find financial harmony and how that led to her current role as a financial consultant and coach from once being a nurse, which is pretty incredible. Her definition of spirituality and how that's related to money, how couples can find themselves on opposite ends of the financial spectrum and how that leads to conflict and stress. And when couples come to her in financial crisis, she begins to resolve the crisis by starting with the practical management of everyday spending and saving and why she does that. And finally, the relationship of inner confidence to money and earning or wealth ceilings. And I know that's a really big topic, so I'm excited to touch on it in this episode. Here's a little bit of Denise's life. She is a money coach based in the San Francisco Bay Area. Her mission is to educate and support women and couples in achieving their full financial potential for themselves, their families, and generations to come. 
come. Denise is often quoted by the media in matters relating to love and money, the psychology of money, and mastering personal and business finance. She's frequently quoted in the Wall Street Journal, Financial Advisor Magazine, Reader's Digest, Parenting Magazine, and she's a guest expert panel for Money Magazine. She often speaks at national financial planning conferences, and in 2008, the national organization called Make Mine a Million designated Denise as their finance coach to support women to grow their businesses to the million-dollar mark. She has a graduate degree in counseling psychology, a certificate in financial counseling, a certificate in interactive guided imagery from the American Holistic Nurses Association, and a Bachelor of Science in nursing. To find connections to Denise and the resources that we talk about in this episode, go to hillaryhendershot.com forward slash seven. Here's Denise. Denise, it's an honor to have you on Profit Boss Radio. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited. Me too. This interview has been a long time coming. And I shared in the introduction to this episode that you really were one of the triggers for me to really take on the study of the what some call the finance of the interior back at a conference I attended in the Santa Cruz Mountains where you spoke. And it was the first time I had heard the distinctions under earner and overspender. I don't know if you recall this at all, but it rung a bell for me in my life. And, you know, not just my own financial life, but it gave me clarity in a way very few teachers ever have. And so I've kind of been on this journey ever since. And, you know, you're one of definitely a major inspiration for me. So I've been excited to have you on the show. Well, thank you, Hillary. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) And at this point, I use the terms overspender and under earner all the time, right? But I, you know, I don't forget from whence they came. So would you share with us your story of how you got to where you are today? I know you were a nurse in a previous life, right? And actually, in my current life, I still keep my nursing license current. And I do that with money coaching. So I do my minimal amount of nursing that I need to do. And money coaching is really my soul work. Oh, so yeah. that's actually a way to kick things off with some really practical advice. Keep yourself current. Keep your skill set current. If you don't have right. to give up a way to earn money, don't. <laughs> right, right. Multiple <laughs> revenue streams are very lovely. <laughs> yes. So if you would just share with us um, what happened in your life financially that inspired your current soul work. Sure. You know, my husband and I were married maybe five or six years. Everything was going really, really great, really smooth. And money was the wedge in our relationship. And we we couldn't figure it out. I was in the middle of a master's in counseling psychology. He was in the middle of a master, his MBA. And we were just not coming together around money. It was just all these fights, growing debt. Oh, it was awful. So anyway, we ended up getting some help around it. And that was probably one of the most expansive defining moments in both of our lives. Because what came from that is that each of us got to explore our money story and what story we were bringing to our relationship as a couple and why things were not meshing. And so there was that story part of understanding our past and how we were recreating struggle in our current, as well as learning skill sets around cash flow and how to make money flow in the month and just doing better management of it all. And that process, while I will say it was challenging in some aspects, it was life-changing and it wasn't that hard. And what came from that was so much teamwork and good feelings and being on the same page. And that really was the inspiration for me to start my business because I thought, wow, if the two of us can turn things around, so can other people if they just had the tools. 
And you actually share publicly, it's okay for me to say, but you say money almost led you to a divorce. Oh, it did. We were on the verge. I mean, we were really on the verge. We had had a lot of talks about both of us. We don't want to live with each other like this. And there were all these arguments that we couldn't, they were the same argument for years that we couldn't find a way out of. All about money. All about money, and and it had its own flavor and dance to it. My husband is more of a dreamer, and he is really good at saying what he wants and needs. And in the relationship at that time, I didn't have a voice. My voice was more oppressive. I shut it down. I really didn't say what I needed and want. He wanted me to, but I didn't really know how to do that. And so there were all these conflicts. And I also came from a history of knowing how to enable others to get what they wanted and needed, but not really as a woman, knowing really what I wanted and needed. I put myself on the back burner a lot. And, you know, that led to a lot of problems. He wanted to know more about what I wanted. I didn't really know what that was. I couldn't come to the table with that clarity. And then at the same time, we had issues with he was an overspender and I was an oversaver. I liked to hoard money. He liked to spend money. And we were, we were at different ends of this continuum, which don't really work like polarities, polar opposites. And we each had to learn to come to the middle. That isn't always an easy thing. Right. Well, it takes a lot of compassion, willingness, and forgiveness, I think, but also motivation. It's interesting that you call yourself formally a a money hoarder. I was just talking to Siobhan Moran in my last episode about what it is when you hoard something. And she said, it's something around which you've become very hardened and inflexible. And so it's it's interesting to bring that perspective because even hoarding money comes from some kind of fear. Right. And One of the discoveries that I made along the way that was a really big aha for me because, you know, in the hoarding of money or having private savings accounts that he didn't know about, in some way, I was saying to myself that my security lies in the size of my bank account versus my security lies within the knowing that whatever curveball life throws me, I will have the tools, the capacity, the know-how, the support, the resources to figure it out. And that was a big shift going from thinking that this thing, money, is this form of external security to go to a shift where I am my own security. Mm. Well, that is huge. And so what was the turnaround moment? What was the moment that you were able to go from the direction of divorce to the direction of coming together and creating something that works? Well, we both really, really loved each other. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) we did, you know, we, we really, I mean, you know, and we still do. We're like, you know, going on 32 years here. Oh, And so... The shift was this, that we were both willing to look at the pain and the suffering that we were creating. We both were in therapy, and we both were ready to own our own part of what we brought to the table. Mm. And that made a big difference. And so I imagine there was a coming together, there was a conversation, money's been divisive for us, and I'm willing and ready to have it go a different way. And so what resources did you look to right then? What were some of the pathways you took? Well, we worked with Karen McCall, who is a pioneer in the field of financial recovery. And at that time, she had her office in Marin. And it was really important for us to have a third party because I don't really think like a book would have helped us. We were beyond right. <laughs> we were beyond that. We really needed somebody to intervene and to say, oh, wait a minute, this is an old story getting in the way, or oh, isn't that interesting that you're sabotaging something in this way? Somebody to really call us on our behaviors and help us to be accountable 
in a in a way that was new to us. Okay, and just for reference, Marin is in California, and your home is currently within driving distance of Marin. Right. So you were meeting with her. So it was kind of like financial therapy. It was. Okay. And does she have a particular protocol that she uses, a framework, or was it, did it look like therapy? So it was more as things come up? No, it wasn't therapy at all. It was a framework. And so one of the brilliant pieces of her work that really stopped the arguing is we began to use a spreadsheet called the Money Minder. And that tool became the place that we would go to. It was like a money sandbox. And so we would go there if we had the question of, can we afford this or how can we make this work? And so the focus started to shift from our arguments to the focus of the spreadsheet and what can we create and it was more of a playground of possibility and creativity and creating a cash flow plan every month. And that got us out of the emotional piece into the more let's make this work piece. And then once we kind of had mastered that, we started to look into our own money story and where we came from, our belief systems, and then how our stories created conflict and what we could do differently to create more harmony in our relationship. Okay, I love that. So you're really getting related to the numbers, what's actually happening, what's our overhead, how much do we need to save, how much can we spend, and getting mutually committed to goals together. Right. But in the realm of like, what's so, like what's actually so, given the numbers. <laughs> right, because the numbers are, they're a part of it. The numbers are a visual picture of all the beliefs and our thoughts and feelings and action and inaction that we take or don't take. Right. And so at some point, you made a decision to offer services to, I I don't know if it was women at first or couples. So what was that change for you? Well, I had had a business prior to money coaching that was more nursing based on stress management. And it didn't go very far. I would just say that, you know, it failed in a a lot of different ways. And Karen McCall said to me, I really, really support you in moving forward and becoming a money coach. And it was after my husband, Greg, and I had worked with her. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you gotta be kidding. Like, Really? And it took a while for me to absorb that. And it also took a while for me to see the value that I could bring forth if I did that. But she was really the inspiration and the person who planted that seed in me. Okay. And so talk a little bit about your current business, if you want to say how it evolved from there, but I'm wondering, I'm asking how it's going now too. Mm -hmm. Well, a lot of my work is one-on-one with clients and I love it. I, I love digging deep into the numbers, into the space of clarity, into the psyche, and to really help people to shift from a less mature behaviors with money to more maturity and to really close the gap from where they are when they come to see me to where they would like to be. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the juice for me. And so I am going on 16 years, it's hard to believe, of working one-on-one. And then last year, I was really, I don't know, maybe it was even started in 2014, but I was just going through a creative drought. I wanted to do more than my one-on-one work. And so last year, I created this program for women. And it's a small group in-person program right now, where we meet in my living room. And I call it the Inner Wealth Dialogues, because I really do believe that true wealth lives inside of us, not outside of us. And that if we can get in touch with who we really are, and what we really want, Those are really big things. And a lot of times, those things happen in midlife where we begin to question those two. Who am I right now? What do I really want? Because there's so much change and transition that happens with 
you know, partners die, divorces happen, kids leave the nest. It's really a ripe time for a woman to come home to herself to ask these questions and then to align the answers to those questions in this with money so that money nourishes her deepest parts. Right, because often in the literature, in the media, you see this term, your financial life, and even I use it. It's a way to sort of draw a circle around what I'm talking about. But in truth, we don't have a financial life. We have a life. (laughs) (laughs) Money is in it, but it is inexorably intertwined with everything we are, everything we've done, everything we will do, how we feel, our level of confidence and self-awareness in relationship to the world. At this present time, do you have programs that are remote? Are there ways for people to work with you remotely at all? Some of my one-on-one work is remote. Mm -hmm. And I'm just putting together the format for the Inner Wealth Dialogues to come online later this year. Okay. Finding a way how to do that. Okay. And I want to come back. I feel like we should uh, maybe bookend the conversation by talking about some of the results well, that women say they're getting out of this Inner Wealth Dialogues program. Does that work? Sure. All right, great. So if someone asked you, Denise, what is money? What would you say money is? To me, money is an energy exchange. Money is energy. Mm-hmm. That's, if you ask me one word, I would say money is energy. And we use this medium of energy in exchange for other things in our lives, things, services, what have you. And so I often look at the apparent contradiction of people who are, let's take a Bernie Madoff as an extreme example. And some would say he had a lot of money, like he won or he got one over on people. But I would say, in fact, he was miserable. And he has said in the media that during the entire time he was hiding and hiding and being a criminal and a thief, that he knew the end was coming and that he was miserable. But yet he had a lot of money or what you're saying, energy in his life. And then I look at people who I love and adore and do in my experiences only integrous things in the world and yet don't have money. So does that tie into this apparent contradiction? How would you address that seeming wrong in the world? Well, let me give this a shot. I'm not exactly sure what you're asking, but (laughs) if money is energy, well, you know, so I believe this. I don't think that energy is good or bad. I mean, it's just, it's energy. It is, right? Right. And I think that what we can do as people with energy is we can create light with it and good or we can also create darkness and heaviness with it, right? Mm-hmm. And when you talk about, you know, Bernie Madoff, I don't know what his money story would be. Right. Right? It's very unique. It's very <laughs> unique. But I bet that that story had little to do with money. Mm. And so it's easy to look out in the world and see really good altruistic people who don't have the money that they want, don't have the money that they need. And so if we apply this definition of money as energy to that, would it be fair to say that energy hasn't been applied to the money conversation in their life? Or can we say in this black hole vacuum that we're in this interview land where we don't actually have a woman to talk to about it or a person to talk to about it who has this happening. But is it fair to say that what's happening is she isn't paying attention or the right attention or the effective attention to that aspect of her world? I think that that can be true. You know, that was true for my own story. So money requires attention in our lives because we touch it in some form every day. And when we aren't bringing the qualities of managing it or stewardship or looking at it as blessing or resource and just awareness, bringing consciousness to it, we can then live in the dark side or the dark energy of money where signs of that are 
a lot of worry. Do we have enough? Are we going to have enough for the bills? And we're in money vagueness. We aren't looking at our accounts. We're keeping our heads in the sand. And so you can even look at that as like the light side and the dark side of money. If we bring the lamp of awareness and consciousness to our money, I think that we have more peace in our heart and less struggle in our life, even if we aren't earning what we're earning because we're bringing the best control that we can, we're bringing a plan, we're bringing a strategy versus being more in this unconscious space with money where we may be neglecting it, ignoring it, treating it like it's a stinky shoe. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I meet many people in that place. And thanks for going with me on that. I think a lot about, I know I'm a Libra, so maybe it comes from that, but like fairness and unfairness in the world. And I ultimately, I do hold people responsible for their own situations. And that truly is a place of empowerment. Like, I hold you as capable. And I think you can do anything that you choose and set your mind to. But and yet we all know people who are truly wonderful people who like aren't working it out for themselves financially. So thank you for lending your expertise on that. (laughs) So I love that you talk about you say that transforming your not only your relationship to money, but the, the actual practicality of money in your life takes attention to the practical aspect of money, the emotional aspect of money and the spiritual aspect of money. I have so many questions about this. (laughs) When you start to work with someone, is there one of those areas that you start with first? It sounds like when you and your husband worked with uh, Karen McCall, is it? Yes. That you started with the practical. Where do you start with people now? I start with the practical too. You do. I do, you know, and it's, it's for this reason. Usually when people come to see me, the amount of stress that their nervous system is under is a lot. And just tending to some of the practical aspects, just stepping into the space of clarity with money, Mm -hmm. no interventions, just looking at what is, is often a way to calm the nervous system, lessen anxiety, I mean, initially, it can be a little anxiety-provoking, but clarity can start to bring peace and control to the money picture. And if I can get people's cortisol levels and their stress hormones down in their body, Mm -hmm. then I can have deeper money conversations with them. I see. And so, the first part of just tackling some of the practical and hand-holding through the fear, I think is really, it's an important strategy to then invite in more conversation about money stories and going deeper into belief and what's happening here. And let's bring in the quality of curiosity and explore what might be some of the reasons that you're here and you don't want to be, but you want to be over here. And what do you think it will take to get there? Yes. And so where do you go with someone when they've articulated where they are in where they want to be? And you said something like, we look at why, why are you there? Can you say more about that inquiry? Sure. I think that the why is really important in relation to understanding where we've come from, what money story have we internalized from our early childhood that we are living in current day life that is not working for us. And we also internalize things that do work for us, but that's not why people come to me because things are working for them. Right. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Let's let those be. (laughs) Right, right. Let's just bless those right now. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And so then I would say that your hypothesis and mine both, in fact, is you've essentially manifested the situation in your life that you're in right now in order to prove something in order to validate or make real or breathe life into some belief that came before it. Yes? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And one of the things, 
that I'm working on right now and just doing a lot of inquiry with folks too is that it is the belief. And I also am going into asking questions these days of the feeling and the pain and the struggle that you are in right now with money. When was a time in your life that you can recall that this same kind of patterning was happening? And many people will tell me a story from their childhood around this pattern that is happening currently and way back then, and it really has nothing to do with money. It has to do with self-worth, you know, some aspect of that, not feeling good enough, dimming down so siblings can look better or be in a higher position. I mean, you know, just a lot of different family pattern dynamics that can come from that. So it's really important to understand because if we don't understand our story, we're still living in our blind spots and unconsciousness. And it's that space where we get into pain and struggle and where things aren't working so well. Okay, so just to get into the practical realm for a minute so we can help people understand this, let's talk about the example of someone who who made themselves less than so that a, a sibling could feel better. And how would that impact their financial life? Well, if somebody comes from a family system where they were told, you know what, don't let your light shine so bright. We need to... You know, it's important for your brother and your sister to have some of the limelight too. And let's just say that that's a chronic pattern. And then that person goes through life and they may be in a job and they take that patterning and they place it in their work arena and say, yeah, you know what? It's really important for me to focus and support my coworkers in getting what they want, but then dimming down in what I want so that somebody else can kind of have the limelight. They can also do that in their marriage. That is also a pattern that can lead to under-earning, not stepping fully into our own light. Mm, and this is a topic that's talked about a lot in the sort of women's empowerment community is what happens if you earn more. And I've spoken with so many people who have really thought that it would be an impediment, especially to a woman later in life who's earning a lot of money. They're often thinking, I can't date, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, if they're single and have money or high income because it will be intimidating or emasculating to a potential mate. So can you talk more about what you mean by the spirituality of money? Sure. I tend to look at money as a form of blessing. And I don't put that on, you know, to my clients, but I do share with them that we are given, everything that we are given is something to be cherished, whether that comes in the form of money, wonderful work that we do in the world, a partnership with another person, pets, kids, what have you. And so, there is a spiritual aspect of money where I see the quality, one of the qualities of that is stewardship. Is I, That's a spiritual quality. If we have been given this blessing in our lives, then what is our responsibility around it? How do we grow this? How do we give it? How do we spend it? How do we manage it? What do we do with this gift? And you could ask that of money. You could also ask that of relationship. But it's really, I think, having an appreciation and gratitude for its presence in our life and the nourishment that it can give us when we are in alignment with our deepest values. I think that money is the blood flow that can help fund some of our deepest values. Mm. And I think that creativity is another thing that can fund our deepest values. You know, so that is one of the ways that I hold money is very spiritual. And what do you mean when you say that what there is for us to do is understand that true prosperity is already within us? And how do we tap into that? Right. Hmm. So that's a lot of what the Inner Wealth Dialogue Group is about, is that I do believe that all of our answers are inside of us. And so, 
they're not outside of us. If we keep seeking outside, we may be looking for more, 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 while our true needs and what we really need is being neglected. And then that space in us is just growing bigger and bigger in deprivation and widening a spiritual gap inside of us. And so, in the Inner Wealth Dialogues, I use the tools of stillness and silence and space for a woman to begin to get in touch with what is on her heart and to find her own answers to some of the struggles or some of the heaviness that she might feel in her life right now. And I believe that when we know, when we listen with the ears of our heart, and we know what is right for us, what is true for us, then we can move forward from that space in our lives, and we can use money as a tool to help us moving forward in that way. Did I answer that? I think so. (laughs) And so, typically, I associate the word spirituality not with religion, but closely tied to. And so, when you say spirituality, you actually mean, in this case, energeticness or intentionality. Do I have that right? Yes, or a connection. You know, I, I don't look at religion and spirituality. I mean, they can be united, but I don't look at them as living in the same room. I look at spirituality as what fills me up, what fills my heart up, what fills my body up, what makes me feel joy. And what is it that brings that connection together for me? And so, this is probably a little bit off tangent, but one of the things that spiritually fills me up is hiking in nature. Mm -hmm. Like, nothing, I mean, it's just wonderful for me. And so, yes. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) I, I think that's good that we were able to define that. So, that gives me a lot of clarity. Thank you. And I want to talk with you because I think the work that you do with people and couples in their relationship to money is so fascinating and you get to see so much. I mean, I get to see so much, but you truly get to see the nuances of people's relationship to their past, themselves, and money and how that all intertwines. So, I'll ask you just a little bit about some of that work. Can you talk about some of the couples that you've met and the different kinds of struggles they were experiencing and what you saw resolve that for them? Sure. And you know what I can do is just do this in general. Yes. Right. So a lot of times when couples come and they're having money problems, frequently it's because they are on opposite ends of a spectrum that is causing conflict. One may be earning, one is not earning. There may be money secrets that are a part of the relationship dynamic. One person may be taking a more active role in the management of money, and the other one is turning a blind eye. And so, one of the dynamics that I see commonly with couples is a parent-child relationship where the one who is taking charge wants to hammer the other one a little bit like a child and say, wake up here. I, I want you to see this. I want you to engage here. And and the other one is like, no, no, be for a lot of reasons, a lot of fears. I don't want to look. I don't want to see. And so, part of the journey in bringing couples together on the same page is to look at the relationship dynamics that they're practicing that are tearing them apart. One of them is that parent-child dynamic. And so, I call things out and I say, well, you know, look, this is what this looks like to me. And how can we move into a dynamic that is away from this and more into a dynamic that is adult-adult, where you both are showing up, where you both are in a place of knowing, where you have agreements with one another. You know, like, I don't think it really matters who does what in the financial tasks of things. But I do think it's really important 
that both people are in the same place of knowing about what is going on with their finances so that, and I say this, if one of you dies tomorrow, the other one can take right over. Mm. It's important. And, you know, so there's a lot of work. There's a lot of dynamic work that... We need to look at with couples and in their patterns and their money stories. But once they start getting aware and becoming conscious of the sabotage and the blocks and some of the things they're each bringing to that relationship that aren't working, then they can do the opposite and turn that around to make things work and get on the same page rather easily and use the spreadsheet as a decision-making tool, a priority-making tool to help them navigate some conversations that maybe used to just turn up in volcanic emotional turmoil to something that is more, well, look, let's look at what the possibility is here. If we adjust this down and move this up and let's see what we can create together. Now, you've referred to this spreadsheet a couple of times, so I have to ask, do you offer it? The Money Minder Online is an online spreadsheet that people can purchase at $60 a year. Oh, great. So I'll put that link in the show notes. Mm -hmm. And so if you want to find that, just go to hillaryhendershot.com forward slash show notes. And um, so I'm really seeing myself in this, this whole, first of all, the hammer metaphor is really making me laugh because that makes the other person the nail, you know, and I see myself doing that, not in the realm of money, so to speak, but you know, we're, we're pregnant right now. And, and I'm congratulations. <laughs> Thank oh my you. God. Big hugs to you. Oh, I thought you knew. <laughs> no. Oh my gosh. So I'm extrapolating years out as my planning mind will do. And, uh, and I'm like talking about how it's obvious that I'm going to be the disciplinarian and, you know, who's not <laughs> and, and definitely doing a little bit of hammering. So what's an adult adult interaction that can replace the hammer nail? <laughs> <laughs> that, I mean, that is a dynamic that <laughs> I was the hammer too okay. in my relationship. Yes. I was the hammer. All you hammers, be proud, raise your hand, and you nails too. (laughs) Right, right. So instead of hammering, because the focus when we hammer is on the other person. (laughs) (laughs) The nail. (laughs) Right. I had to kind of, in my clients, I offer, I share a lot of my story with them too. We have to kind of go within and say, what is going on with me that I'm feeling like I have a need to hammer? What is my fear? What is my need? What is it that I need to get out in my voice that I'm not doing? Mm. And how do I say this, what I need, with kindness so that it's a win-win for the relationship here, Mm. right? Sometimes that takes a while to do. When I am really upset with my husband, sometimes it takes me 30 minutes to figure out how can I respond to this conversation in a way that has integrity where there's not going to be any damage or hurt, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, so what that might look like is, let's say that a couple, they've committed to do a money practice where they're having a money meeting and having a money conversation every week. And one of them cancels the meeting and doesn't reschedule and lets it hanging there. And then the other one who's used to hammering wants to hammer, but that person instead kind of steps back and says, I, and owns they're part of it. I have a lot of anxiety when a meeting is canceled and it's not rescheduled and we're not on track to where we need to be. And I'm really asking you to reschedule or something of that nature versus, you know, the blame part, right? You canceled. Why haven't you rescheduled? What's wrong with you? This work doesn't matter to you. Right. Clearly you're avoiding. Right. Yeah. Very clear. I got that. That's good. Thank you. Mm-hmm. A little bit of marriage counseling for me right. in the middle here. You helped a bunch <laughs> of people, I'm sure. Can you talk about 
the relationship of inner confidence to that of money and how that relates to earning or income ceilings in your opinion? Yeah, that's a big one. Mm -hmm. Um, Holy cow, that's a big one. (laughs) Well, there's a lot of research out there and and the source is not right off the top of my head right now around women and confidence and asking. When we look at earning, the energy of earning, and what brings more earnings in, often it is our sense of inner confidence. It is that quality that we hold, that we radiate, that others pick up and feel. And a lot of words don't even have to be spoken, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, as women, we are not... As women, we are not socialized, I don't believe, to grow our confidence. And when we don't have inner confidence, which is sometimes linked to self-worth, we do put our own inner earning ceiling, we put that in place for ourselves. And it also has to do with asking. We are socialized not to ask, but to be asked instead. Mm. Oh, I talk about this so much, the ability and willingness to make big requests. <laughs> like all somebody can say is no, right? And we, are, and we won't die from it, right? And, and every bit of money that you have is in some way the result of a request that you made. Now, you might argue that inheritances are not, but everything else really is, even in a wage negotiation, a sales conversation, the conversation between a landlord and a potential tenant, these are all request conversations. So, you know, right. you may not relate to them like they're requests, but they are. So how can, so in a world where we're not encultured to build our confidence, and confidence is probably positively correlated to both income and wealth, what can we do about that? Well, we can do the opposite of what we're doing. So for women, there are behaviors that are associated with a lack of confidence, right? It's not having confidence is part of a belief system as well that is linked to behaviors. And so let's just play with this a little bit. And I'm going to think out loud here unpolished in that if somebody doesn't have confidence and they have the behavior of not asking or shying away, or saying, oh, you know, I don't think that I, I'm skilled enough to do that. Mm-hmm. I'm not worth that much. I'm not, I'm not worth that much. I believe, and I witnessed, that the biggest way to shift a belief is to do the opposite behaviors of what you're currently doing. And so, if somebody can write down and list out their particular set of behaviors, that they're doing that are leading to a lack of confidence that affects the inflow of earnings coming in, then we can take a look at that and craft the opposite of that because then that will be a confident behavior, the opposite. So let's just say that a woman is having a conversation with a potential client And from her lack of confidence, she becomes a little wishy-washy when she's asked what her pricing is. And in the conversation, she changes her pricing twice. Then the practice is, okay, let's get clear on what your pricing is. Let's work on you holding the capacity of that in your body, mind, and spirit. And then once it is said... Once you then give that pricing, you don't jump in and try to rescue anything. You let there be a pause. You let that person come back. So it's really looking at the specifics of how do we create a lack of confidence in ourselves? That's one way to do it. Mm -hmm. Another way is I really believe in guided imagery and... um, It's a very holistic process where we employ our imagination to help us with current day struggles. And some of the things that I have my women clients do is I have them remember a time in their life that they felt very, very confident. And I ask them to ground that feeling in their body 
before they do something that whether it's like asking for a raise or mm. sharing their price structure with another person or what have you, talking with a landlord, to have that ground in their body before they do their a practice of stepping into more confidence. So they already have it with them from this old memory, and then they can take it forward to start to build new history. So the athlete's version of visualization almost, but complete with the experience of those emotions in your body. Right. Not just the image in your head, but the emotions in your body. Got it. And that's a way I actually cured my own stage fright in public speaking. So I love to speak in public, but I felt that the, I did have symptoms of anxiety, of fear. And I don't so much mind being fearful, but I thought that that it limited my expression. So I didn't, my body didn't move the way I wanted it to. I, you know, I didn't like it. So I would do visualization and I would experience feeling peaceful in front of crowds. And it took about a year. But at this point, no butterflies, no, you know, no nothing. So that's been really, really helpful. That's Um, awesome. Yeah. So, you know, we've only touched on the tip of the iceberg of what, you know, you're capable of, but we are um, fortunately at the end of our time limit, the real boundaries of time. And so, you know, I just want to thank you for being here. Is there Uh a way that people can connect with you if they want to find out more, stay in contact with you that makes sense? Sure. They can go to my website, Mm denisehughes.org. And I think that they can check that out and get a real good feel for the work that I do from my website and all my contact information is there as well. Great. Fantastic. And as always, I'll put that link in the show notes along with links to the things that and resources that Denise and I have spoken about today. It's been an honor to have you Mm -hmm. on the show. And thanks so much for what you're doing for people out there. Mm, You are so welcome. And I thank you right back. And just, I love you dearly and just give you the biggest hug. I am like so happy for what you're creating for women in this world. And I'm just so happy that you're creating new life inside of you right now, too. (laughs) (laughs) That's cool. Thank you for my first podcast hug. That was cool. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Thanks so much, Hillary. If you enjoyed the show, I sure hope you'll click subscribe and then download a bunch of episodes so you can take them with you anywhere you go, especially on your private jet. And you don't even have to send me a free kitten, but if you'd really like to make my day, I'd be forever grateful if you would be so kind as to review my show on iTunes. I heard that people who leave iTunes reviews get free back rubs. I don't know from who, but if I find out, I'll tell you. But I do know for sure that you'd make my day if you'd subscribe to the show and rate and review it today. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for listening to Profit Boss Radio, where creating success on our own terms happens every day. You're not alone in your journey to a rich life, and that's why Hillary is here to add value in each and every episode. See you next time on the podcast for women and money.